Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? My voice is not... Uh, I don't have a pastor's voice. <laughs> Such a joy for me to be uh, with you this morning. And I've got... Uh, I've got a huge expectancy this morning. You know, I want to tell you there's no more time to play. So I want to just do something quickly for a few minutes to make sure I've done that right. But um, Phil and Rachel is here this morning. Matt and Riley, their sons. Rachel actually, on a voluntary basis, full-time, just about work for Hands at Work in, in Australia. She do our teams, she do our volunteers, she do our finances, she do everything. Um, and I guess that is, in the easiest way to summarize, Hands at Work is to sacrificially, voluntarily, joyfully, happily learn to be like Christ. And... Um, yeah, so if you've got any question, anything to ask about hands, because I don't like to talk about hands too much from the pulpit, please speak to Rachel. She's much better than me anyway. I forget names, faces, places. <laughs> so Rachel will be available afterwards. In one minute, just to give you something to hang me somewhere, <laughs> Hands at Work is just a movement of believers. We've got geophysicists and lawyers and plumbers and We've got people that got their first pair of shoes when they were 16 years old. We've got people from many different nations and nationalities living together in community because we believe you are before you do. You get that? It's not what you do, it's who you are. We are. So in, in Christ, we live in community and we openly and unashamedly invite the church there will be 30 teams coming to us this summer from different places in the world, and we want to make them so jealous. We want to make them so discontent with this materialistic, individualistic, depressing, bad culture. And to know that Christ has promised you something much bigger than that. So that's what we want. We want a community where we live in simplicity, where we're different, black and white, old and young. All of us live together. Different denominations. I hate denominations. <laughs> There's no more time for those games, man. We're weak as it is. We're going to have to come together. We must be united, you know. So we love it. In hands, when we worship, we swing in the chandeliers, man. We go wild. But yet, in Holy Week, we contemplate and fast and consider the depths of the crucifixion. Yeah. We embrace the body holistically. And we say, bring all the good. That's based on the Logos, yeah. the living word. That's sharper than a two-edged sword. Yeah. It will cut through bone and marrow. This morning, if you're ready, it can change your life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But then, to be, that's where the foundation comes from. But it can also be the end of you if you don't have to go out. We are before we do. The do is where you explode outwards. 
where you spill out with. You know, all of us are leaking. All of us. Some leak love, some leak fear. There's nothing in between. You leak love or you leak pain. Nothing in between. And if you're filled with Christ, when you get healed, you start leaking love. And boy, when you leak love, you don't want to sit with 10 other guys leaking love. You want to go where it's needed. You want to flow like a river. And you want to find the worst hell hole possible. And you want to go right into that hell hole in the middle, and you want to be there and say, leak. <laughs> right? I mean, how bad will it be if all of us close the doors and we leak love here? And we go out, and out there is broken and hurt, and, 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 and they're desperate. And we say to them, come to us. No. No. We go. Here we are, then we go. So enhance it work. We live together, we eat together, we pray together, we f we're good at fighting. We fight together. <laughs> it's rough out there. There's blood every day. <laughs> but then we go and we find the communities in Africa that are off the ladder. You know what it means to be off the ladder? It means there's zero hope. Anybody of any capacity already died or left. People go to bed hungry. People don't sleep for more than 20 minutes. Too many, too small space. One blanket, sick, coughing. Mosquitoes biting, children being sick. They go to bed hungry. They wake up hungry. They wake up tired. They get out of that hut. They've got one goal. What can we eat? That's what it means to be in a dysfunctional community. We go and find those communities. We, we've become specialists in finding them. We hunt them down, we go there, and we bring the good news. Come on, come on. Even in the most broken community, we find the most broken people. We go to the bottom of the barrel. Because you know, if you go anywhere else, you can only build up, you can't build down. You exclude people. And in Christ, nobody gets excluded. That's why I can stand here this morning. If somebody should ever have been excluded, it should have been me. So we are, we do, and we create a platform for the church. Because we say, if the church ever needed to get to know the Father, it's now. It's now is the time. And the place you get to know your daddy is in the hallows of this place. That's where we understand the gospel. And we see who God is. So if you want to know anything more about hands, please speak to Rachel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to speak to you this morning about caring for the widows and orphans. Now, it is a very strong mandate. Yeah. Like a serious mandate. From Genesis to Revelation, God insists, commands, draw strong lines and he say there's four groups of people you will look after the poor the widow the orphan and the refugee do you know that you know that God said I forbid you to neglect the refugee I forbid you 
if you are my sons and daughters, you will sacrificially make them welcome. And then God says, because remember, you were once a refugee in Egypt. Can you remember that you were a refugee in Egypt? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that the very refugees that God saved and pulled out are the very ones that struggle to do it for the refugees? And that's our brokenness and selfishness. And that's why we need to rediscover the Father's heart. I can stand here this morning and flock you and guilt you and, and you might even give. But you're not going to have to come back every month to do it. Or I can give you glimpses of the heart of your Father and you will lead love. And love is expressed in the best way. For God so loved the world that He Did you understand that? He laughed and he? That's a proof in the pudding. We love Jesus and we give him our lives. We surrender. We heard about the rugged cross. We surrender. But you know the thing is, what we surrender, it's death. It's rubbish, it's useless, it means nothing. Yet our brokenness tells us to hold on to it. But there's nothing to hold on to. He promised us life. He said, release rubbish and I'll give you life. And yet it's so tough for us to do that. But if you want to discuss this, I want you to know that there are more than 3,000 scriptures commanding, referring, and edifying, and encouraging us to care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the refugee. So there's a very strong biblical mandate, from the patriarchs, to the prophets, to the Psalms, to Christ, right through. But this morning, I'm not going to talk to you about that, because you can go and study that. You can go and find that and dig it out. I want to come to you from a different angle. Remember, God doesn't need anything from you. Do you know that? God's not holding his breath when um, Andrew or somebody makes a call for, for giving. <laughs> he owns all the cattle in a thousand hills. Yeah. And in fact, you owe nothing. Because you've never created anything. I mean, out of nothing, created anything. <laughs> Whatever you have is his resources. <laughs> so, if you want to hold on to your own things, go and create it out of nothing. Then you can be the creator and then you can decide what to do with it. But anything out there, it's not yours. It's not mine. And the reason why you're sitting here and I'm standing here and some of the people I'm going to tell you about are there is because of where you were born. When you were born and who took care of you in the first few years of your life. George, but I've worked very hard. You don't know how to... My friend, not one of us in this room have ever worked hard. You want to say, see people who've worked hard? Come with me, I'll show you. A grandmother of 85 that walks for two and a half hours to get five liters of grey water for her family. She gets up at four in the morning. I've just slept in a hut recently where her grandmother got up at quarter past two in the morning. She came back at five o'clock, empty, bucket empty. She said, I stood in a line when I got to the front, there was no water left. That's working hard. So 
God has blessed us. We are privileged. But we've got to discover this. This morning, I want to take us into that. My prayer is that each one of us will have a deep understanding of grace and of our Father's heart. You know, when we sang that songs this morning, honestly, I had to sit because I felt my knees was giving in because I lost my breath. I said, God, do we, do we really, really know what we're singing here? we understand the depths of those words that you hunted me down you seek me you came for me you rescued me we sang it and I go God are we singing this because there's a nice melody to that how deep does it go into us you know Jesus said I want you to be free if you're my disciple I want you to be freed. In fact, in John 15, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what? I want to tell you what's happening in us as a church. We have become defensive. We were like, guys, we're going to have to hold here. I mean, the numbers are shrinking and times are tough. We're going to have to defend. Guys, it's like you can't hold the gospel. It's like water in your hand. It's going to fall out. It's going to go. You can't defend the gospel. We were created to be offensive. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Our children are born. Ooh, I mustn't go on the children thing too much. But our children are born. And, and we feed them good food. And we give them brilliant education. And we give them discipline. And we, we guide them. And education, everything, closing, amazing. And then when they grow up, they say to us, thank you so much for doing that. Why did you do all of this investment in them? And we look at them and we're honest and we say to them, well, we want you to be saved. And they go, really? Like, like you did all of this for me so I can be safe? Like, I feel like somebody that's dressed up and I've got nowhere to go to. You want me to be safe? You know, we, that is, we're paying a heavy price for that mentality. Because our children do not want to be safe. We were not created to be safe. We were created to conquer. We were created to take new land. We are not defending a kingdom, my friend. This is not your kingdom. We are invading a kingdom. You know what? We are the terrorists, actually. <laughs> we hit. We plunder. We take. We're here to proclaim a new kingdom. Yeah. We say this is rubbish. We are here to proclaim a new kingdom. Somebody gave a word about arrows in your quiver. Your children are arrows in your quiver. What do you do for arrow? Go, go. We are not called to be safe. We are called to be brave.
And I want to tell you, you start challenging you young couple, you guys. Pizza is good. Popcorn is brilliant. I love it. But I want to tell you, you want to have a thriving youth group here. You make them brave. You give them Goliaths to go and kill out there. I want to tell you, you cannot compete with the world when you play by their rules. You show them a movie here, there's a better one over there. You give them popcorn here, they get better popcorn. You, you, you. The church cannot compete with the fallen world because we are not part of that. You bring it undiluted, strong, loving, head on. And you bring them here and you say, you were created to invade the kingdom. Jesus said to Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Who's attacking who there? Jesus didn't say to Peter, your gates will hold, just stand strong. <laughs> he said the gates of hell will not prevail when my church come out and go. And that's what we need to do. Even when it looks as dark as it can be, this is the time for us to go, 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 and to be brave. Yes, give your kids good clothes and education. Don't worship them. Okay, that's bad. But give them good clothing and everything and tell them from young, you are going to take territory that belongs to the enemy. You were created for a reason. You're going to plunder hell's population. You dare to do that. Friends, I, I had the privilege to have spoken in, in Perth and Kalgoorlians and honestly, you can ask Rachel, I shared the gospel many times a large part of the audience were unsaved. I spoke Christ that even made me scared. <laughs> and people came, people got saved, people are desperate, people are hungry, people want the truth. That is the truth, unashamedly. You've got to hold on to that and believe that. But it all starts, and here's the thing, it all starts with understanding grace. It starts with grace. And grace is, I wish I can just understand 1% of grace. But when you dare to go, when you dare to, to, to express, when you dare to leak love, where there's no love, the privilege is you start seeing what grace is. It's very hard for us to see grace here. Here we hear about grace. Here we understand grace. But then we've got to have beautiful feet. We've got to be brave. And we've got to go. And as we go, the grace happens wherever we go. And then we experience and learn about that. I recently learned from a young lady called Vumi in the Congo, in Goma. <laughs> that is in one, if not, the worst village on this planet. I'm not exaggerating. They are just refugees, just suffering unbelievably. We are looking after 75 children in this hellhole. And I went there recently and I sat with the 75 kids, watching them Every one of them known by name. Every one of them have been refugees. Every one of them lost mothers and fathers, siblings. And they sit there. They've been traumatized for years. And suddenly, here's this group of people that just love them stupid. And we just care for them. We know their names. We visit them. 
And while I'm at this feeding point, just enjoying this, just saying, God, your kingdom, come. I look up, and there sat that, woman, that girl. You know, from here to the door are children watching our children eating. I want you to draw a parallel between your, your faith and what I'm telling you. Going right through this sermon, I want you to think a bit further than what I say. Our children are watching us. I can show you photos how they stand. Watching the 75 kids eating, being loved, hoping that they will leave something so that they can come and eat. It's painful. Guys, it's painful. You know what makes it even worse? Is I can only look after 75 kids because I only got 75 people that will give me $20 a month. <laughs> and I don't want your money. I'm just telling you the facts. It, it, as, a, as a Christian, coming from the West, it, it makes me so... <laughs> I can't comprehend how we can say we love and we've got grace, and, and that can be the case. You know, it just doesn't match up. The books doesn't balance there. I, I am in a faith crisis. But... There we are with the 75 kids, and there they're watching, and this woman, and she just sat there watching me, didn't move, just locked eyes with me, and I could not invite her to that feeling point. Because if I invited her, then everybody will just come, and we just, it will just destroy everything. Guys, I sat there, and I was weeping as I looked at her, and with my eyes, I was trying to say to her, I hurt so much now that I would have given you my foot if I could. I just couldn't help you. I just couldn't help her. She sat there, and after about half an hour, she realized I can't give her anything. She got up, and she slowly walked away. Oh, you could imagine. <laughs> I mean, I was in such a mess. Everything in me wanted to help her. After we were doing the feeding, we went on something we call holy home visits. You guys need to visit each other in your homes. Amen. Yeah. Are you, mate? No, mate, I'm good, mate. And you, mate, <laughs> back at home, all hell is breaking loose, right? Yeah. You need to visit each other. Beautiful kids visit each other. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know if I love you? You'll know because I come to your house. Yeah. I want to see your house because I love you. Right? So we do holy home visits. We visit the children. We go around. This is a messed up community, man. It's, it's a refugee camp. And as I walk, you couldn't believe it. There that girl walks past me again. Timing, unbelievable. It, the village is about like five kilometers. There's literally hundreds of footpaths. I went there, I went there, I went, and suddenly, perfect timing, here this girl crossed two, three meters in front of me. She walks past me. Just slowly like this. Now I said, I don't care about anything. I said to Eric, our leader in Congo, I said, boy, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going now. I'm going to do a holy home visit. And I followed this girl home. And she sat there. That's her house. Banana leaves. It's about this high. Guys, I can't tell you everything today about her because it's too long. But I want to tell you, if we didn't fetch her that day, she would have died within three days. She hasn't eaten for four days. She had malaria. She watched her mother and nine of her siblings being killed in front of her. This child is so broken. 
Like it's unbelievable. After we did everything for her, I carried her to a clinic. We put her on a drip. We took her in our feeding point. You know what she did? She ran away. She ran away into the mountains, the worst place she can. That's where all the rebels are. She ran to hide in the mountains. And I heard about that. You know, I felt, why will women run away? You know, when people are wounded, they'll run. Do you know that? Don't, don't criticize people when they run, man. They're bleeding. They need help. You know, so I couldn't sleep that night. I thought, what the heck am I going to do about it? Well, I tried. I did my best. I can even boast about what I did. But the 99 sheep. Eesh, we sang about it this morning, you know. Jesus said to me, two o'clock in the morning. I woke up crying, crying. Jesus said to me, man, I hunted you for many years. You kept on running away, but I came for you. The next morning I was up, six o'clock. I went back to that village. Nobody wanted to go into that mountains. It was just too dangerous and too difficult. But there was one woman, devotional. <laughs> she was a drunkard. And she got saved under Eric, our leader. He, he gave her the gospel and she got saved gloriously. And because she got saved, she understood Jesus. She became one of our champion care workers, caring for orphans. It's amazing. People that really get saved, they leak, they leak love, man. They can never do enough. You don't do it because you have to. Man, I mean, it's like falling out of you, right? And nobody in that village will go with me into the mountains. And this drunkard, rubbish, that got saved, said to me, Joy, I'll take you. I'll take you. So we hit the mountains. I was so scared. I'm not brave. Don't believe a word. I'm not brave. Don't make a mistake. But this woman took me, and Eric and me, and we hit the mountains. We walked for 25 kilometers up and down in the mountains from village to village. And we got to one village, and we actually came out. I see Rumi coming out of, a, out of a hut. And she was walking down, and she looked up, and she saw me. And she dropped everything. That whole village watch. I mean, I was the first white guy there. there. The whole village watch as Rumi dropped everything and unashamedly. I mean, I can just see the prodigal son, right? You know, when you, when you want to be rescued, <laughs> when you really get to that place where you need to be rescued, unashamedly, man. And she drops everything and she ran for me. She dived into my arms. You know, afterwards when I spoke to her, she said to me, I ran away, and this is a word she used, because I was hurting too much. But we found her. We found her. And I said to Bumi, I'm going to hunt you down forever. I cannot let you go. Because there's a Jesus that hunted me down. You know what justice is? Is to set things right. That's what justice is. It's just when you set things right. Because Christ 
burst into our lives. Right? And he said things right. And my own family told me in my face, they said to me, you don't deserve to be saved. My sister, who always lived a beautiful life, wasn't saved yet. We got her in. But she wasn't saved yet. I said, what about her? She should be saved. I said, exactly. That's why it's called grace. But I know that. I know that. And that makes me and compels me to cross that road constantly. Not because I'm brave. Not because I'm strong. Not because I like to give. But I will give until I bleed out. Because I can never forget what he did for me. He ripped me out of the darkest hellhole village in Africa. And he gave me life. <laughs> you know, when we dare to care, we always discover the one who cares for us. In fact, we love because he first loved us. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It's not possible to laugh without having experienced that love. But it's not possible to experience that love and not to love. Come on. Come on. I want to say to you, if you struggle with compassion and loving, don't try, don't force, go and find Jesus. You don't know him. I'm not saying he didn't say the ABC prayer, but he never called us to say the ABC prayer. This whole thing that we invite Jesus into our heart, it's five times in the New Testament, 164 times he say, the invitation comes, you come into Christ. You become part of that mysterious, amazing body. And living waters will flow out of you. If Christ, if you had a real encounter with Christ, friends, everything will change in your life. Nobody has to tell you. But you know, the thing is, when you have that encounter, when you understand that Christ saved you, I want to tell you something about street children. It's amazing. We take them out of the street. I mean, the guys live on glue. They get abused physically, sexually, daily. They live like dogs. We take them out of that street and we bring them into a house where we love them and care for them. We know their names. And then something amazing happened. After a week, they jump out of the window and they go back in the street. It's crazy, eh? You know, many of us, we still jump out of the window at night, out of our daddy's house, and then we go and play in the streets. We go and dig in the dustbins of the street. Then we come home after a few days and we shower and we hang around with our siblings. Because you see, we were not just saved. Forgiveness of sin and salvation, now I'm going to say something massive now. It's unbelievable. And we would have been condemned if that didn't happen. But something even bigger than that happened. Ooh, okay, now, now I'm on thin ice, right? But I want to explain to you. After you were rescued, redeemed, you were taken by hand, and he said, Come, you're going home now. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, George is coming home. And you were legally, legally adopted. 
Guys, you know what it means to be legally adopted? It means it's a done deal. It's got nothing. I could adopt a child. The Kiwi can do what she wants to. I mean, if she does well, she pleases me. If she does bad, she makes me sad. But it doesn't change her status. I don't say to her, well, if you bring marks like that from school, you can't be my daughter anymore. Am I right? She's my daughter. In fact, if I must be honest, I might even love her a little bit more than my biological children. Because I've just got such a heart for her. Because I remember the day I found her naked. The sand. Dying. And I held her like that. God said to me, that's you, George. I took her home. She became my daughter. She's 17 years old today. I'm so angry that she's this old. I'm trying to <laughs> lock her in her room. Because she's grace. She teaches me. She reminds me. I was found naked. Were you found naked? Or did you get here because you went to Sunday school and your parents are whatever? Guys, do you know the radical Christ that ripped you out of the hellholes of this planet? Do you really think you're smart? Do you really think you would have survived if you were thrown in a place like that? Grace, 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 grace. That grace is so amazing. Jesus was knocking on your door. Not unbelievers, by the way. It's not the evangelical door. He's knocking on our doors as believers. And you know what he's saying? It's like me going to Joshua, my son, and I go to knock on his bedroom and I say, Hey, Josh, you got a minute? Why? Just want to hang out with you. Just want to be with you. I, I, I desire you. I want to be with you. You're my son. Joshua, you're my son. You know, sometimes you say, oh, I'm too busy. Close the door. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm back. Hey, can we hang out? I don't give up. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up. And we do slam the door on him, right? And he comes back. How crazy is that? Like who who should be who should be knocking and whose door here? Right? Shouldn't we be knocking and then stand with twenty thousand other people and he say, Okay, you are the lucky number. Come in. Isn't that how it should work in our culture? No, upside down kingdom. Upside down kingdom. <coughs> we get into trouble when we take the gospel and we try to fit it in this kingdom. Yeah. Big man, big whatever. <laughs> Rubbish. There's no big man in this kingdom. One beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's who we are. Right? But we cannot cannot receive this grace and not explode out there. And you cannot wait until you have because you will never have. You do it when you don't have. You do it because it's the right thing to do it. God gave his, I wonder wonder how many sons did he have? Twelve. That was the weakest guy that he gave away. God gave his only son. Guys, his only son. Yet, we can't give away our only dollar or our only hour we have. He gave his only son. He didn't just give him and say, okay, I'll get him back later. He shut the door on him. 
not went Jesus went into hell he became sin he was severely punished so you and I today can have tears when we sing that song and we can say amazing grace amazing love that can save a wreck like me and now when I walk out here when I hear about Submissions is really just leaking love. That's what missions is. And the more we do it, the more we get blessed and healed. I was in Matino in Mozambique a while ago. That's where I met Megan and Argentina. <sighs> Megan, the girl in red and white, is, she's about this size. She's 10, 11 years old. She was the head of the house. She headed up that house with Argentina, her little sister. Their parents were refugees. They got there. They both died. Nobody in the village know where they come from, what their names are. What they, they do not have a history. They literally don't know one person on this planet. And she heads up the house and she has got a severely damaged spine. She's like this already. And she's got a sister, Argentina, Watch the mom die, watch the dad die, watch twins die, and left them alone. I found them in a winter's morning there with um, our Mozambican leaders who took me there. I was so confronted. I remember I walked into that hut. There was not a blanket in that hut. There was nothing. in God's image. Go into the world and bring the good news. You know, Matthew 9, where Jesus speaks, he said, and he looked at the crowd and he had compassion because they were harassed and abused and tired. And then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He wasn't calling for evangelists. He was looking at the broken world an abused world. And he was saying, who will have beautiful feet to go and leak love? That's all he was asking. Go and read it in Matthew 9. I remember that morning, we, we said to Megan and Argentina, you can go to our feeding point. And we showed them, it wasn't far, maybe 500 meters to walk. And, and we had to carry on with our work. And, and I walked away, maybe 30, 40 meters, and I turned around and I looked at them. And I just saw this little Megan holding Argentina's hand. And there they're walking. I had two jackets on. It was freezing cold. And I looked at them on that little footpath on the way to our feeding point. And it was the loneliest figure I've ever seen in my life. Inside the pain, the joy that I have been given, the privilege, the honor, perfect. God took me from thousands of kilometers into a hellhole in Mozambique. Way, way off the road, forgotten by everybody. And in that village is one family, two girls of no hope. And God said, come boy, you prepare to go. I'm going to show you me my heart. I want you to go and lead over there. 
you know, the pain, the joy, and the grace, and the gratefulness. And then I just fall down, and I worship, and worship, and worship. And I want to tell you, worship and justice goes together. On a joint, on a hip. You cannot worship and not have justice. You cannot. It will never work. That words will become just dull. You will look for the next melody. Worship only becomes worship. When you, out of worship, lay your life down and you find the magazine Argentinas and you go home and you fall on your face and you weep before the living God and you worship him for hours and hours because he saved you and he took you today to change somebody's destiny. That is when you worship. Anything before that is a, is a catchy tune. Am I right? Guys, I, I wanna, I, you know what? I want to stir you up because I want you to experience it. Before God, I can say to you this morning, I don't want anything from you. I'm standing here 100% clean with you. You've got a life. You've got a fingerprint. You've got a destiny. You've got a call. Do not let them make you like one of the clones. Your life is like this and it's gone. And then you stand in your grave and you say, what a waste of life. Well, we first had all the nice pieces, but then we think that, <laughs> when we, isn't it? I stood at many graves, actually thousands. And you don't want to know how many times I said, I, I, I cry, but not because I feel sorry, because I'm so angry, because it's a waste. They never tasted Jesus. They never exploded with grace. They never experienced what it means to get into a place where there's no hope and to leak that love and to see God doing everything. So, <laughs> the last time I went to Machino, I was particularly looking for a little... Um, Megan, and I saw her going to the feeding point. Oh, guys, there's this huge circle where they all sit. And Megan took a little plate and she sat down. And next to her sat another girl. <laughs> and she took her hand. She squeezed it. She had a friend. She had life. She had love. She had meaning. came alive against all odds. Christ burst into that wedding. Beautiful. It's life-giving. I want to tell you something. Let the truth be known. Megan got nothing from me. I got everything from her. She taught me more gospel than all my post-grad study university guys ever taught me. They're actually a bunch of pelucas now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> they know how to talk big words and wara wara. I will put them in that hell hole and they will run. Because they do not know the grace and the love of my Father. You can have it. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Yeah. You've got to take it, man. There's only two choices. It's that 
और उसे स्त्री चाल चालते हैं I want to say this to you. Christ has no body on earth but yours. Wonder why he made that choice. Like if I want somebody to save my son, my daughter, I want you to see Lucas guy. <laughs> I want look for the best. He's trusting you and me. Make a nice and good this morning. He's saying, it's you or nothing. He's got no hands but yours. Holy hands. When you lift these hands up in your worship, you know, you know what you declare? You say, Lord, these hands were holy this whole week and now I'm giving it to you. Be careful to lift your hands if it's not. That's what it's about. When I lift my hands, I say, Lord, what I touched, where I did, what I gave, this. Be blessed. That's why we lift our hands. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The fruits of labor of love. No feet but yours. <laughs> no eyes. How many people just want to make eye contact with us? They're just looking for love. Not just in Africa, here in Bayara. No compassion. So here's the thing. My challenge, my question I want to leave with you to close. Maybe you look at your life and you say, God saved me and he healed me. And that's amazing. And I think, yeah, that is great. But that's not where it ends. He saved you and he healed you. But now you are part of a family that's got a goal to make his name known. You and I, you know what Jesus said? He said this, as my father has sent me, right man so I sent you you're not just a Ballarat Christian you are sent by your father listen Jesus said I have been sent I came to heal the broken hearted to comfort those who mourn now as the father has sent me I'm sending you Jesus said, I lay my life down because I know my Father. That night in heaven before he came, what did he say? Dad, I'll go. His dad said, you know what price is coming? He said, yeah, but I know one thing. You will not rest until your sons and daughters are home. I'm going to go and rest. Then he said to us, now I'm going back to prepare a place. Keep bringing them in. Dad is homesick. Not evangelize and get them to say a prayer. That's all good. But you're bringing them home to Daddy's house. 
dad is homesick, he wants his children home. And you have been entrusted, entrusted with your life, your skills, your talents, your, your treasures. And, and you are managing a trust for him. And you say every morning, Father, what do you want to do with this? Because I want this stuff to be used for your kingdom. I never created anything out here. And he say, give half of no. He don't say, oh, no, maybe well. He does say that. But most of all he say, dare to be brave. Dare to go. Just like your older brother. Sons and daughters of the most high king. Don't waste your life. Connect with your daddy and live a life and bear much fruit. Let's pray. I want to pray this morning and I want to ask you two things as I pray. Maybe some of you don't know Jesus yet. The Jesus I spoke about. All of you know Jesus. But do you know this Jesus I spoke about this morning? But I want to ask you another thing. Maybe your life has stopped after being redeemed. And you've got a beautiful testimony and you're faithful and going to church. But you never understood that that's not the end, that's the beginning. Now that you're in the house, you're in your father's business. And his business is to bring your children home. And maybe this morning you need to understand that and that commission that's what's called the Great Commission. You need to talk to your daddy this morning and say, Lord, today I surrender everything. My fears, my belongings, my ambitions, my lust for the world, I say, take it away. I want to bring your sons and daughters home. And I trust you. Maybe you need to take that step this morning. Let me pray for you. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Bible says I've come to bring life and life in abundance. Not just for you, but for all my sons and daughters. In Romans it says the whole of creation is moaning and groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's time for you to be revealed. It's time for you to have beautiful feet. It's time for you to have healing hands. Ears that can listen. Eyes that can love. It's time for you to experience the joy of knowing grace and God's goodness. It's time for you to start your journey with your older brother. To bring them home. Be blessed in Jesus' name.